Good morning, good day, good evening, wherever you are. I'm glad you're with us. I wanted to start this message in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, going through 17 today. We're starting our series called The Arrival of the Sovereign King, and uh, I wanted to uh, get this out there so that, because part two comes out uh, this Sunday um, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you can catch it at our website, gracetoday.net. But we're going to be in Matthew 1, 17, 1 through 17 today. So I want you to imagine uh, that you're holding a, a precious stone, a gem, a gemstone. Uh, let's say it's a, it, it, like the Hope Diamond. And I, the Hope Diamond is probably about the size of an AirPod case which is like 45 carats. It's a massive, a massive diamond. And let's imagine that I hand that to you and, you and you hold it in your hand. You'd probably do what I would do. And that would be, the first thing you would do is you'd just kind of go, wow. And then you'd start turning it. And you'd start looking at it from different angles just to try to take it all in. And you would see that it is one beautiful stone, one beautiful gemstone, no matter which angle you look at it from, but you would still rotate it because every angle is going to be different, even though it's all basically going to tell the same story, which is this is the most, the largest, maybe most beautiful diamond in the world. So um, I want you to think of the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. I want you to think of them as four different angles of the same story. That is the true story, the biographical story of the of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospel writers, and Matthew is the one we're going to focus on today. Now, our, our bottom line today is that the sovereign Savior King Jesus is coming back. He came once, and he came to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to send us back out into the world, the dark world, to help people also find that same light. And so, that's kind of what I'm excited about in this Christmas season. We're going to be looking at Matthew 1 and 2 over the next several weeks, and we're going to tell the Christmas story through the eyes of the book of Matthew, the writer Matthew. Now, Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. Matthew and John were both disciples. Luke and Mark were not. Luke was someone who interviewed a lot of folks like the disciples, uh, Mary, other people who would have known the story and become followers of Jesus. Um, and Mark would have been telling the story of the apostle disciple Peter. But Matthew was one who actually walked in that group of 12. So, um, so we're going to look at it from his perspective. Matthew was Jewish, and he was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. Whether they were believers or not, he was writing to a Jewish audience. And, um, and so that's why he has Old Testament quotations, because Jews would have appreciated that. And that is why he throws in the genealogy. Now, Matthew throws it in, and Luke throws it in, and they throw in different genealogies. One's from Joseph, that would be Matthew's, that is the father of Jesus. We'll talk more about that. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, the true blood mother of Jesus, not adoptive, not surrogate. She, her, her, I think it's her genealogy in the book of Luke, although that's debated. Now, um, why in the world would we preach a message on um, the genealogy of Jesus, especially at Christmas? It seems kind of obscure. But the point is, there's actually several things we can learn about Jesus that are appropriate for us. And, and they answer the question, why did Jesus come in the first place? Why did we have Jesus 
come into the world. He claimed to be God in the flesh. Why did he come into the world? And Matthew gives us the answers to those questions. So what I'd like to do is just kind of double down on that question. Why did Jesus come? And to remember that the sovereign Savior King Jesus came to deliver us from darkness and then to send us back into the kingdom of darkness as servants of the light. And uh, I want you to think of Matthew as one of several different angles to look at that story. Now, um, let's see here. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Now, let me just give you a, kind of a quick overview of those four Gospels, and uh, then we'll jump into Matthew. So first of all, uh, the book of John, his angle on that story is uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? Um, Luke's angle is that Jesus is the Son of Man. Mark's angle is that Jesus is the suffering servant. And Matthew's angle is that Jesus is the sovereign king, which is the series title, The Arrival of the Sovereign King. That's the series title that we're doing these next four weeks. So what I want you to do is, is look here. If, if you've got a Bible, follow along in Matthew chapter 1. It's the first book of the New Testament. And you can see here the New Testament is much thinner than the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is another way of saying the Jewish scriptures, the Old Covenant. The New Testament would be the Christian scriptures, which complete, complement, fulfill the old, because Jesus is the, um, Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that the Jews were looking for. Um, not all Jews believe that, which is why they're still Jews. But the Jews that do have become a completed Jew, I believe, and that would be a Christian. So, with that said, let's see what it says here in the book of Matthew. And I'm going to read just the first verse, and then we're going to and then we're going to stop, and, and I'm going to make some comments here. It starts off. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Okay, let's unpack that a bit. This is the genealogy. So the next verses. These are the Genesis. Genesis is the same word, root word of genealogy, which means beginnings. So in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis is the first book of the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, Matthew is the first book of the new co of the new covenant, and he starts off with this new Genesis, and Jesus is basically that. Now, he says that, he says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. What is Messiah? What does that mean? Messiah, in shorthand, it mean it meant the King of Kings. It meant the long-awaited King of Jeru of Israel, really, um, and they would have considered that. The Jews were, have been waiting for a Messiah who will come and deliver them from their oppressors, which is true, and that's who Jesus is. But Jesus is more than they were expecting. Um, many of them were not expecting a divine king. They were expecting an earthly king only. Jesus is much more than that. Jesus ended up becoming, um, well, he is the king of kings. He is the one who will rule and reign forever. He is the one that fulfills all the scriptures that talk about there will be one in the line of David who will reign forever. That is Jesus. So Messiah is the Hebrew word uh, for Christ, which is the Greek word. Both of those words mean anointed one, who's anointed, prophets, priests, kings. Jesus is all three of those, but he's mostly known as the king in the minds of the Jews. So Messiah, Christ, however you want to go at Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. Jesus is his name. Christ or Messiah is his title, not his last name. Okay, and it means anointed one or king. Now, let's talk about the name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means the Lord saves or the Lord is my salvation. Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua, which is the Hebrew version of 
Jesus, okay? Um, and they mean the Lord is my salvation or Yahweh saves, okay? Um, so already we've learned several things about Jesus. We've learned that he is a king and not just a king, but the king of kings. That means that he is ultimately over all rulers and people and all of history, past, present, and future. And also we learn that he is the savior. And what do we see? Is he the savior of? Well, if you study the Bible, you'll know that he is the savior of our souls. He is the savior of the world. He, he saves the earth and will recreate it as the new earth. He will recreate the heavens as the new heavens. It will have the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, our new bodies, our new lives for eternity. And then it says two more things about Jesus, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father, he is the father of the Jewish nation. It went about 2000 BC, so about 4,000 years ago, you have Abraham who was who had a son. Remember, he was like 100 when his son was born, uh, 90 when his son was born, something like that. Isaac. So it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay, those are the, the they're called the patriarchs. And um, Abraham is the first one that made a covenant with God. Well, I guess you could go back to Noah. Noah would have made a covenant with God too, but God made a God initiated a covenant with Abraham. And if you go to Genesis 12, which I'll flip there real quick, Genesis 12 actually tells us that. And I'll just read it to you here real quickly. Um, and it says this in the first three verses of chapter 12, the Lord said, the Lord had said to Abram, Abram was his, his name before he was called Abraham. God changed it. And this is what the Lord said to Abram. Uh, go from your country, which would have been modern-day Iraq, your people and your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you, and here's all the promises and blessings that come with his covenant. I will make you, God says, into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the Abrahamic covenant, okay? And Jesus fulfills that because he makes all that possible, okay? So as a son of, so that means he's from the line of Abraham, which means he's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew, which is funny because a lot of Jews don't realize Jesus is a Jew or was a, earthly Jesus was a Jew, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and then we have that he's the son of David. Now, if uh, Abraham came around 2000 BC, 4,000 years ago. David came around 1000 BC, which is about 3000 years ago. King David. David was the second king of Israel. The first though that God chose, and it is his dynasty or his descendants that include Jesus and include Joseph and Mary. We'll see in this as well. Um, so it goes, Abraham, it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who's renamed Israel. That's where the name Israel comes from. God renames Jacob Israel. And then he has 12 sons. And one of those sons is Joseph, the old Joseph, the other Joseph. One of them is Judah. And Judah is the line through whom Jesus, who David comes eventually. And then Jesus later will sow this as I read through this. Okay. But being the son of David, he's going to fulfill prophecy. Now, the Davidic. Um, let's look at the Davidic uh, covenant, which is 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13 says this. 
I'm going to start reading a little bit in verse 11, about halfway through. The Lord declares to you, and he's talking to David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now, he's going to, talking about a house um, that's going to, well, see, David's trying to build God a permanent house, a temple, to replace the temporary house, which was called the tabernacle. When your days are over, he's talking to David, when your days are over and you rest you're with your ancestors, in other words, when you kick the bucket, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. And that starts with Solomon and then Rehoboam and so on and so forth. All the earthly sons and descendants of David. Your own flesh and blood. And then he says this, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13 says, he is the one who will build a house for my name. That's Solomon. Solomon is the one who builds the temple. He won't let David do it um, because David had too much blood on his hands from all the battles he fought. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom, that's the kingdom of Solomon, forever. Now, how do you establish a kingdom forever? You establish it forever when it's the king of kings. It would be someone, it would have to be someone that fits the description of the Messiah. And that is where that happens, or that's where that happens. So back to Matthew. Let's start reading through here, and let's look at um, this, uh, this passage. This is pretty cool. Okay. Now, in this genealogy, genealogies in general were usually men, um, but once in a while they would have a woman in there. And so it was very unusual to have women. And even when they were in there, these women would tend to be women with high integrity who would support and strengthen this, this, the validity of the gene, genealogy. Four of the five women in this genealogy actually work against it. Um, which is one reason why you can't believe this is made up because why would someone make it up and then make it weak? Um, so here, let's jump through it and I'll, I'll show you as we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Verse two, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now here's the first woman, Tamar or Tamar. Tamar was the first woman that's listed. She married one of Judah's sons. The son dies. She marries the second son. He dies. Now he has a third son, but he's young. And um, she's going to have to wait on him to grow up, which is kind of weird. But this is all because she wants a good heir, a male heir. She doesn't have a male heir from the first two sons. And part of the reason those first two sons died was God struck them down because they were wicked. But remember now, this is the line that Jesus is going to come through. So how does this happen? So what happens is Judah promises her that he will, if she will wait, he will give her his third son. But here's what he's afraid of. He won't tell her this. He's afraid that his third son's going to die too because of her. So he doesn't ever call, tell her when he's old enough to marry. He never calls for her. She recognizes this. So she ends up, long story short, this is in Genesis 38, this story. She tricks, she, she disguises herself as a temple prostitute. She tricks Judah into um, giving up uh, basically proof that he was sleeping with a prostitute, which she was pretending to be. She becomes pregnant from Judah and has the sons of these two boys, Perez and Zerah, the twins, as a result of that. So Judah is shamed into, into that. 
God continues the, the line of Jesus through those two, even though it was an immoral situation. What you're going to find in this passage is this is not a, a, a genealogy of righteousness. There is not a lot of consistent patterns of righteousness in these people, men or women. And this is encouraging in the sense that it says that God doesn't have to, your line and my line and your, your genealogy and mine doesn't have to be perfect for God to work. All right, so after Perez, the, it says Perez is the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. You know, if you've read the book of Ruth, you've heard the name Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, now Ruth, book of Ruth, marries Boaz in the book of Ruth. We, we, we get that story in the Old Testament. Obed, okay, the father of Obed. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So they had a child, a son, whose name was Obed. And his father, he became the father of Jesse. You may recognize that name. Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, and then the genealogy stops there, and it breaks. And what you're going to learn when you read verse 17 is that this genealogy is made up of three sets. One, two, three sets of uh, 14 names or generations. These don't, these represent all the generations. This isn't the, an exhaustive list. You could say this is an abridged genealogy. Okay, the number 14 is there to help, is a mnemonic device. If you take the letters of David in the Hebrew, take out the vowels because they didn't use vowels, D, V, D. David is the fourth letter. Of the Hebrew alphabet, V is the sixth letter. So if you add up four plus six plus four, you get 14. Perhaps that's why the number 14 is used. I don't know. Second set starts again with David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, here's a second woman mentioned, but she's not named. But we know who she is if you know the story of David and his unfaithfulness. Um, he, he commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, whose husband is Uriah, who is not a Jew, even though she is. And Tamar was not a Jew. That's another scandal. So scandal, she's not a Jew. Scandal, she's a woman in the genealogy. Scandal, she um, tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her so that she can have sons. Okay. And then we have, here we have the second woman, Uriah's wife. Uriah was a Hittite. Bathsheba was a, was a Jew, but because she married a Hittite, Legally, she's no longer a Jew. She takes on that attribute of the husband, of the father. And, of course, she got out on the roof, bathed in public on the roof so that David Kassir was tempted. And, of course, he went for it and committed adultery with her. That son dies. He has Uriah, her husband, tricked and kill, has him killed so that he can take her as his wife. Just sin upon sin upon sin, even though this is King David. So here we go again. There's hope for us. God doesn't give up. Doesn't give up on us when we're not perfect. Okay. Then it follows David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, 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 the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, 
at, at the time of the exile to Babylon. End of the second set of 14, Babylon exile. So what happens is um, the, the nation of Israel is disobedient for centuries, over and over and over. They do not trust and follow the Lord God by himself. He eventually says, enough is enough. I'm going to discipline you. And he allows the north. This, by this time, Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom is conquered by Assyria and sent into exile out of the promised land. The southern kingdom, that happens in the 700s BC. In the five, late uh, 586-ish BC, the, the nation of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, which is all that's left, they are exiled and defeated by Babylon and taken away. And the 70 years of exile begins with Babylon. I'm sorry, in Babylon with Judah. Okay, the third set of 14 names. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Um, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Elizer. Elizer, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary, of Jesus mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Okay, let's stop there. Let's, now, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the father of Jesus. That was the pattern, and it breaks the pattern because, biologically, Joseph is not the father of Jesus. Okay, we're going to speak more about that on Sunday because it's going to talk about how, um, how and why that matters. What it says here is that and we get the next woman, and, and I miss Rahab. Somehow I miss Rahab. Um, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, and she wasn't a Jew. But she helped the spies show, tell Joshua what he needed to do to conquer the, um, the, nation, the city of Jericho back in the day. So we had Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and um, who was the other woman I missed? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. Oh, I already mentioned Ruth. So here's, so we have the last woman. This is Mary. Now Mary was was um, has is high in integrity, and high in um, righteousness, and so she's chosen to be the mother of Jesus, and she will be his blood mother, but Joseph will be his adoptive father. He becomes the legal father, and this is how Jesus becomes legally in the line of David. Is that not only is he born to Mary, who is a descendant of the line of David, but he is she marries Joseph, who is in the same line, descendant of Abraham, descendant of David. And that's why it says Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And he qualifies to be the Messiah because he's in the son of Abraham, son of David, Messiah, Savior. Okay? So, um... That's how that ends. And now verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile uh, to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. All right. Now, why do these matter? At the end of the day, all of this is to show you and I that Jesus is truly who he said he was. Okay. The Messiah. 
the one that the Old Testament, this thick part of the Bible, has been talking about for 1,500 years. Jesus shows up at the turn that where we now mark the end of B.C. and the beginning of A.D. That happens to land. It doesn't just happen to land there. It was designed to be there because the historians that were changing the calendar believed that this was the most significant event in history, the birth of Jesus. And so they centered the calendar, things that happened before the birth of Jesus and things that happened after. Now, that tells you how significant they believed. And it, this was years later. This was years after it happened. And it just tells you the influence of Jesus on history. So I share all that to say Jesus came to deliver. He's our, he's our sovereign Savior King. He came to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. And then he saved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light to then send us back into the kingdom of darkness to rescue others far from God but close to us. That's what we're about. So I'm going to end with... Those were Jesus' first words. Well, not his first words. Matthew's first words about Jesus. Now I want you to flip in your Bible to Matthew 28. And we're going to end here. Matthew 28 is the last chapter. And we're going to look at the last uh, several verses of the book of Matthew. This is how it ends. And this is by design that it begins and ends with Jesus. And it begins and ends with this sovereign Savior. This is what he says. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. There's just four verses here. Four or five verses. Then the eleven disciples, because Judas had been, Jesus, at this point, Judas Iscariot had hung himself. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, this is after Jesus has been crucified on the cross, buried in the tomb, and raised to, and resurrected to new life on the third day. When they saw him, that is when the disciples saw Jesus, it says they worshipped him. But some doubted. I love the humanity and the honesty here of Matthew. Then it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Jesus is the sovereign King of kings, Savior. And he has all authority given to him by God the Father. And he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that truth, go and make disciples. Make disciples is the operative verb here. This is the action that is to be taken. Make disciples. But he's saying, as you go through life, make disciples of all nations where they are like you. No, it doesn't say that. All nations near you. No, it doesn't say that. All nations that are easy to get into. No, it says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptizing them. And teaching them everything I have commanded you. Is that what it says? Teaching them everything I have commanded you? No, that's the way we think about it. But this is what it actually says. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There's a huge difference between knowing what God's commands are and obeying them. And that's what marks someone who loves Jesus is someone who obeys. He says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And if you don't, you won't. So you want to know whether you love God? You know, we, we talk about loving God and loving people. You want to know if you love God? Well, are you obeying his word? As simple as that. And are you doing it as a pattern of your life, not as an exception? Is it a pattern of your life? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he gives this encouraging word. And surely I am with you always, 
to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus is going to be there for us to encourage us and to help us actually do what he calls us to do. So here's the question. Three questions. Are you going to be like the religious leaders in the days of Jesus and reject him? Are you going to be like the casual followers in the days of Jesus and, and casually observe him? Sort of follow him, but not really. Not obey the teachings of the commands? Or are you going to be like the disciples? And are you going to unconditionally, fully and faithfully follow Jesus? I guess that's the question I, I have for me too. And uh, as we think about the fact that, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? He came to rescue us. And and, and the fact that he that we have this genealogy, we know that he is who he said he is. And he's going to do all he's promised to do. And Andy Stanley says that's the definition of faith. It's believing that Jesus is who he said he was and that he's come. He's going to do all he's promised to do. Um, and so I just want to encourage you to think about that today. Am I choosing to walk and make disciples with Jesus? Am I choosing to walk with Jesus in making disciples that make disciples? This Christmas season, do you see him as more than just the baby in the manger, but the, do you see him as the Savior, Sovereign King, who came with that agenda, that we would be equipped and empowered and encouraged to go into that dark world and make disciples who make disciples. I want to pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for reminding us that you came to deliver us, to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness, but not just that. You rescued us to join you in your holy search and rescue mission to reach those far from God but close to us, to reach people with the good news where we live, where we work, and where we play, that we might become the best neighbors ever where we live, work, and play. Lord, this Christmas season, we have the opportunity to open our mouths and boldly proclaim the Christmas story, to boldly remind people why it matters. God with us, Emmanuel. And I just pray you'll help us do that fully and faithfully, that you'll help us not miss the opportunity to lovingly but boldly, humbly, but firmly pronounce the real reason for the season. Christ the Lord has come. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. If you want to see us on Sunday, I, I pray that you'll go to gracetoday.net and tune in there. You can also find us on YouTube and see us there.